You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. God hates it when we compromise. And I don't say that word lightly, because a lot of times in our day and age, we just see God as this loving, almost Santa Claus figure that never gets mad. But God does get mad, and God loves and he also hates. The Bible is full of that. And compromise is something God hates. This concept is summarized in James 4.4. This is what James says. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hatred against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So James says that if we're a friend of the world, a compromised Christian, you are actually an enemy of God. And he calls them adulterous. That's a really strong word. Adultery is when you cheat on your spouse. And that's probably the worst thing you could do to the person you dedicated your life to. And God hates adultery. And God hates it when we cheat on our spouse and when we compromise. It's a very serious matter. If you could summarize what James 4.4 is saying, it would be friend of the world equals enemy of God. Friend of the world is enemy of God. I mean, it's, it's a little bit sobering. You know, I hope, hope you don't feel like I'm splashing this cold water in your face, but it's what the Bible says. I mean, how many people want to be the enemy of God? Okay, everybody's paying attention. <laughs> Usually have one people raise their hand and go, yeah, I'll raise my hand. Oh, no, I wasn't supposed to raise my hand. But compromise can make you an enemy of God. That's why it's very dangerous. There was a quote from Jack Graham, and it's, it, it, this is what he said. He said, Satan's primary weapon to stop the believer, to seduce the believer, to neutralize the effectiveness of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is the weapon of compromise. He actually likens compromise to a weapon. I would agree with that statement. And a compromise is one of the most effective weapons the devil uses to hinder our relationship with God. And the scary part is when we start looking at our lives or the lives of your average believer, we live oftentimes in compromise. we living in Ziklag like David did. You know, compromise in our relationships, in our friendships, where we go, what we watch on TV, what kind of movies we see, what we watch and do on the internet, um, what we listen to, and, or how, how we talk or speak. Oftentimes, it's hard to tell who's a Christian and who's not by their behavior because there's so much compromise. But the good news is we can learn from real people in the Bible how they overcame this. And one of the reasons I know that the Bible is really the word of God is because the, Bi- the God shows us these heroes of the Bible, warts and all. You know, if the Bible were simply a human book, we would never see God's heroes as weak or compromising or, or making these mistakes. But David is one of the heroes of the Bible, and he's a man after God's own heart. Jesus descended from David, but yet there's an area in his life where he lived in compromise for 16 months. So what I want to do is pray, and then I want to start reading the story of David and Ziklag, which is found in 1 Samuel chapter 27. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are here. We feel your presence. We feel it to glorify you. Now we invite you, Holy Spirit. One of the things you do on earth is to bring conviction, 
to open up our heart and remove things that are in our lives that are damaging us and damaging our relationship with us. I ask you, Holy Spirit, you'd be the master surgeon today and gently open us up and shine your light and let us see what you see. Let us see compromise the way you see compromise. And you will, Lord, you will. Because you're, you're, you're so many things and you're also an excellent surgeon. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me give you some background on David right before he moves to Ziklag. You know, when David was a teenager, he was a shepherd. And then Samuel came, prophesied, anointed him. And he was to be the next king of Israel. And the next thing he knows is David is in the royal palace. He's, doing, he's leading worship and praise for the king. And then in a whirlwind, he becomes a national figure in Israel. Kind of like Ava August. Anybody know who that is? It's this 15-year-old girl from Dana Hills. She's the, on the tenth, one of the 10th finalists of American Idol. So she's kind of like, my daughter knew her. She goes to Dana Hills too, and she was just an average girl. Now she's kind of put on the map. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. But David was kind of on the map. I mean, he killed Goliath. And then he was promoted in the army. He was given a 1,000 men under him. And then he was given the king's daughter as his wife. And his best friend was the king's son, Jonathan. Life was good. Is, how many people like it when life is good? I mean, San Clemente, life is generally pretty good. But then things began to happen. David's life went into a tailspin. He fell out of favor with the king. And the king even tried to kill him several times. He was demoted and lost his position in the army. And then his wife was taken away and given to another man by the king. David had done nothing wrong. Saul, the, the current king, was jealous of David and knew that God wanted to make him king, so he was jealous of him. So for the next eight to ten years, David became a fugitive, running for his life from an insane king. And during that difficult time, David tried and for the most part did what was right. He tried to stay close to the Lord. He tried to hold on to the promises of God over his life. So with this background, we get to 1 Samuel chapter 27, and this is the story of Ziklag. Let's read it together. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul the best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. Then Saul was told that David had fled to Gath. He no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? On that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in, Israel, in Philistine territory a year and four months. This was the first time in the Bible it recorded a time where David compromised his faith. And what was the compromise that David did? Well, he moved to the Philistine country. That was forbidden. God strictly forbid the Jews from mixing with the Philistines or any of the outside nations. And God has warned his people over and over not to mix with them. And so by moving to Ziklag, 
David actually aligned himself with the enemy, the enemies of God. So why was this forbidden by God? Why, is it, why was it so taboo? Well, God knew that if David would mix with the Philistines, he would get corrupted by them. And he did. It's kind of like the bad apple syndrome. You know, you take a bunch of apples, you put one bad apple, and the bad apple will spoil the bunch. Doesn't work the opposite. It usually works like that. And Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15.33. He said, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's pretty simple truth. I think every parent probably tells their kid that as they're going to school. And then we grow up and we forget about it ourselves. So we can't be naive. If we hang out with the wrong crowd, your faith will be challenged at best or shipwrecked at worst. Um, you know, we don't have any Philistines around today. And I don't know, unless any Philistines in here this morning. Um, but I think the same warning applies to us. We need to be very selective of who we allow to influence us. This was the first mistake David did. He allowed the enemy in the enemy's camp to influence him. He compromised God's word by mixing with the Philistines. In fact, David gets way too close to the Philistine king Achish. In verse 5, David calls himself the servant of Achish. So a chapter or two before, he's like, well, I'm the servant of Jehovah Almighty. Remember when he was fighting Goliath? He's like, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Right now, he's like, well, I'm your servant, Achish. So within a short period of time, David went from trusting God and believing the promises of God over his life to being a servant of a Philistine king who is the enemy of God. How did this happen? Well, I see three reasons how it happened. Fear, discouragement, and doubt. You know, he had been through a long journey, all these years being chased. So finally it got to him. The fear got to him. Then he got discouraged. And then he started doubting. Let's look at it uh, one more time in, in uh, the first, uh, chapter 27. It said, one of these days, David thought to himself, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Basically, David said, one of these days, Saul's going to get me. But actually, that wasn't true. He had fear. And so David, the first thing David did, he compromised because of fear. How many Christians compromise our faith because of fear? In this case, David feared dying more than he feared God. Remember that question? Jared asked an excellent question last week. He asked, since when did Christians fear death? It's a great question. Because actually, believers, the Bible says, you know, we have victory over death. And, and also in 1 Corinthians, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So as soon as we die, we're in God's presence. But when we lose perspective of biblical truth, we let fear hinder our lenses and we end up in compromise. Now, the second reason David compromised was David compromised because of discouragement. Discouragement. I think we've all been there. You're just, you know, things don't go well. You're excited. You have this long road and you get discouraged. And he was discouraged. You know, he, he thought about, he probably started thinking about a situation. He's been on the run for 10 years. This is the king. And he's probably tired on that particular day. And who could blame him for feeling down? But when we're discouraged, our view of God gets out of focus. And discouragement puts you in a funk 
That is hard to get out of, and that is very dangerous. Can I say funk in church? I think so. It's, yeah, anyway, sorry. Um, there was a story I once heard that makes this point really well. It's a story of when the devil decided to have a garage sale. Any garage sale fans out there? I know you're, you're kind of on hard times these days. I don't think they are still allowing garage sales. But anyway, the devil had a garage sale, and he did it because he wanted to clear out some of his old tools to make room for his new ones. And after he set up shop, a guy dropped by to, to look around. And a raid on a long table was all his tricks of his trade. And each tool had a price tag. In one quarter, there was something that was labeled anger for $250. Next was a curved tool named sloth, laziness, $380. And as a man searched, he found criticism at $500 and jealousy for $630. And out of the corner of his eye, he spotted a beaten up tool with a price tag of $12,000. Curious, the man asked the devil why that worn-out piece of junk was so expensive. The devil said it was expensive because he used it so much. What is it, the man said. The answer came back. He said, it is discouragement. It always works when nothing else will. And I think we can testify to the truth of this fable. Um, because the devil uses discouragement when anger won't stop us, when lust doesn't, isn't working, when envy doesn't get a foothold, discouragement always works. They say it's his number one tool. And when you're discouraged, it's, it's difficult to get out of. So question this morning, anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody discouraged? Feeling tired, beat up? Well, remember what God did for you. All David had to do was just think of a couple months before, like, man, God saved me from Saul. God did this. God did that. And he forgot. You know, he forgot all the victories that God gave him. And that was David's problem. When we get discouraged, we forget about the Goliaths that we defeated. We forget about all the times that we were uh, saved out of Saul's arms. You know, sometimes we have such short-term memories. Remember all he has done for you. Remember, it's super important. How many times in the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, it starts out and it says, remember what God has done for you. When we remember his goodness, it's, it's hard to maintain and stay discouraged. So the third reason David compromised was because of doubt. He looked at his circumstances through eyes of doubt, not through eyes of faith. Someone could make a case, well, David was just acting like any normal person in that situation. But David should have known better. David had promised, God had promised David that he would be the next king. And does God lie? No. God keeps his promises. David was actually completely safe. Even though Saul was trying to kill him, David was completely safe because God said he would be the next king. So there was nothing Saul could do. But he doubted God, he was fearful, and got discouraged. And he's like, I gotta go do something to save my skin because Saul's gonna kill me. That was not true. And I just wanted to let you know that God will fulfill all the promises he has spoken to each and every one of you over your life. Sometimes when they're a long time coming, we get discouraged, we doubt, was that really you, God? Or or something comes against us and we, we get scared. But let me tell you today, as sure as this pulpit is here, God will fulfill his promise to you, even if it looks impossible. Close your eyes right now. 
Just think of the promises that God has put in your heart, those desires that he's put in your heart, maybe yesterday or maybe 20 years ago. Some have come to pass, some haven't. Let me tell you, God will fulfill those in your life. You can take that to the bank, even when it seems impossible. All right, you can open your eyes now. (laughs) Um, Let me tell you the story of Sally. Sally got saved when she was 20 years old. She gave her life to Jesus. And her biggest dream in life after she got saved was to finish school, start her career, find a Christian husband, and have lots of kids. And one day, as she was praying, she felt God tell her something. She felt God tell her not to date, but to trust God for the perfect man. And when she met him, she would know that he's the one. How many girls want God to tell you that? (laughs) Anyway, nobody's raising their hand over there in the single crowd. (laughs) But that was a great word. And Sally got super excited. But the years went by, and Mr. Wright was nowhere to be found. Then one day, a guy came into the restaurant where she worked and started flirting with her. The guy was cute, funny, charming, and he kept coming back. And she kind of liked the attention. Then he asked her out, and for a moment, she could see herself having lots of fun with this guy. He was a cool guy. And then for a moment, she just saw her Saturday nights being super fun again. But then she remembered what God had said to her, and with all the courage she could muster, she said, no. And then he persisted, and he says, well, why not? And she just, something came out, and she goes, because you're not a Christian. And he responded, well, you know what? That's nuts. Actually, you sound like one of my friends from high school who met Jesus, and then he went off the deep end. You sound just like him. And they talked further, and and then Sally was kind of curious about this friend. And so they started talking, and intrigued, somehow, Sally got this friend's contact information. So through a series of events, this friend had a brother who also was a Christian and started writing Sally, and they became pen pals. Then one day, Sally met this anonymous Christian brother, and in an instant, Sally knew that he was the one. And within a week, they got engaged. Kids don't try this at home. (laughs) And they were married within a year. And this is a true story, but Sally is not her name. I changed it to uh, protect the innocent. Her real name is Birgit Klaus, who's married to my brother George. The guy who tried to hit on Birgit... um, was my best friend in high school named Chris. And I was friends, uh, so I was the friend that he said was the crazy Christian, and my brother George was the pen pal. So they have been married for 27 years and have four kids. And she finished school. God fulfilled his promise to Birgit. But in that moment of temptation where she could have compromised, if she would have compromised and went on that date with Chris, the story might have a different ending. You know, Birgit believed God and didn't compromise, and God is faithful to keep his promises. So I wanted to reiterate this one more time. God will keep his promise to you. 
Something you've been standing on, something God has been talking to you about. Maybe it's about a family. Maybe it's about a spouse. Or maybe it's about someone you're married to. God will keep his promise to you. Don't doubt. Doubting God is an open door to compromise. And David was a great man of God, but even the great man of God, because of fear, disappointment, and doubt, he compromised. Believe God at his word. And when people do compromise, the compromise starts out small, but it quickly escalates. And compromise often works in stages. In, in Samuel 27, 6, look at down at the bottom in verse 6. During this compromise, when David moved there, it said, So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. So the first stage of compromise is the enemy gives you a place. When you compromise, you move out of God's camp into the enemy's camp, and the enemy will, open, will welcome you with open arms. He'll provide a place for you to live. He'll give you your Ziklag. And the second stage of compromise is the enemy will give you pleasure and peace. In verse 4, it said, When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So lo and behold, after all these years, Saul actually quit looking for David. And David did have peace. He was able to sleep at night without looking over his shoulders. David's compromise ushered in a period of temporary peace and prosperity. On the surface, it looked like David made a good decision. And for a period of time, David probably thought I did. You know, he woke up every morning, sun was shining, went to the gym with the boys, had a feast at night. Things were going well. And, but there's a clear biblical, here, biblical principle at work. Hebrews 11 talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, David did feel good for a while. And don't let anybody tell you that, well, sin is just not fun. Avoid it. Actually, sin is a lot of fun. Compromise is very exciting. That's why so many Christians do it. But the pleasure and peace that comes from compromise is always short-lived because of stage three. So look, let's look at stage three. Stage three says the enemy traps you into deeper sin. The enemy traps you into deeper sin. So first he gives you a place, then he gives you pleasure and peace, but it's a trap. So let's continue that story in 1 Samuel 27. It says, Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gersites and the Amicalites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur in Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. When Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of Jeremiel and against the Negev of the Canaanites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has been so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. So these verses talk about David making these, you know, raiding the, the nearby villages. And then he would go to Achish and lie, and it was a bold-faced lie. And he had to lie and to lie and to keep on lying until he actually was a deceiver. And David actually lived in deception. 
Isn't it when you have to lie, when you're in compromise, lying is a terrible way, a way of life to cover your sins. And you might say, well, it was the enemy, so it wasn't a big deal. But he didn't just raid them, he slaughtered them. And what started out as a plundering party ended in a bloody slaughter. David killed lots of innocent people. But should we be surprised? Oftentimes, that's what happens in the fruit of compromise. Many innocent people die. Even, I've seen a lot of men compromise in their marriage, compromise in this, and it does devastation to their families. Compromise always starts small and then gets big. And he's, so David is caught in this terrible downward spiral, but the worst is still to come. In chapter 28, let's read that. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. These two verses show the final steps of David's compromise. David's compromise had backed himself into a corner that now he was going to fight against the people of God. Now the chickens are coming home to roost, as they say. <laughs> Why did Achish, Achish become, welcome David's defection so many months ago and just simply give him Ziklag? Well, because he had an IOU and he was collecting on it right now. That's what the devil does. The devil welcomes your compromise, but one day, and he'll give you that temporary reward, but one day he'll come calling. And once you turn against God, he owns you. What's worst is David was the personal bodyguard of Achish. Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. You know what that means? That means if the Philistines win the battle, it will be the bodyguard's duty to kill the defeated king. And the Philistines did win that battle. So what David would have had to do, he would have had to been the one to have killed his king Saul. And months before, David was such an honorable man because he didn't kill Saul. But now because of compromise, David was forced to do the very thing that he said he would never do. How many believers end up doing things that they swore they would never do because of the slow progression of compromise? David never intended to get into that mess just like most of us don't either. But now he was faced with the full results of his compromise. And if God didn't intervene, he would be forced to fight his people or kill Saul or even his best friend, Jonathan. And one small compromise, step of compromise, leads to another, and then it leads to very serious things. And the thing about compromise, it's an equal opportunity destroyer. Many great men and women have been taken down by compromise. If it can happen to David, it can happen to any of us. It can happen to me. We've seen it happen to people we love. Perhaps God brought you here this morning to warn you about the devastation of compromise. Maybe you've been in it for a while. Maybe you're flirting with it. Or maybe you just started. But God, the, the, the nice part, when it looks impossible or hopeless, God comes and helps you. God is in the business of saving us. So in chapter 29, I won't read it because it's a long chapter, but let me summarize it with a story. 
Now the scene is set. The Philistines gather at Apec to war against the men of Israel. The soldiers gather in small groups, check their weapons, discuss strategy, and wonder when the battle will begin. And it's, it's going to be an all-out war. And David and his men are bringing up the rear. And then one of the Philistines says, hey, what are those Jews doing here? And then someone sh- shouts, get those guys out of here. And word gets through the rank, and it's almost like a mini riot breaks out because David and his men are there. And the generals come to Achish and say, what is this man doing here? Don't you remember the, the, the song they sang, Saul killed a thousand and David is tens of thousands? You know, so Achish went back to David and said, I'm sorry, but you can't fight with us. The men don't trust you. We'll have to fight the next, you'll have to be, fight us with the next battle. And what it, horror it would have been if David would have had to do it. He would have never been able to live that down the rest of his life. But the Lord had mercy on David and delivered him. And even in our most compromised moments, God loves us and has mercy on us. So let's continue to read the story in chapter 30 as we're bringing this home. And the end is almost upon David, and he doesn't even know it. And as him and his men are marching back to Ziklag, they're probably thinking, you know what, we dodged a bullet. Can't wait to go see the wife, the kids, have my favorite meal. And they're almost home, one more hill to cross. And then suddenly one of the men says, hey, I smell smoke. And then, and then someone else says, yeah, me too. And then someone shouts, it's Ziklag. And in a moment, 600 men break rank and run to their, to their town. And their eyes are not prepared for what they're about to see. So let's pick up the story in chapter 30. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amicalites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the women and everything else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep it's a terrible spot David's two wives have been captured Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters that moment nobody wants their worst enemy to experience that moment And have you ever had those moments where you're living in compromise and something happens and it's this feeling of anguish, torment, of regret? Remember one time I had a particular strong night of compromise and in the morning there was a big earthquake and I remember I was so scared. I was like, you know, it wasn't anything compared to that, but it was an awful feeling because the the enemy had came and taken everything that David thought he was going to keep. The reason he moved to Ziklag was to be safe, but it was compromise, and everything was taken away. Nothing is left. And David wept like he couldn't weep anymore. And they were going to stone David on top of it, and why not? David, Ziklag is burning, and it's really all David's fault. Now God is is, is getting David's attention, though. Sometimes the Lord allows terrible things to get our attention, Why would God do that? Because he loved David and he had mercy on David. When disaster happens and we stand in the blackened and smoking ruins, something happens, we come to our senses. That's what happened to David. After 16 months of compromise, David finally began to look up. 
And it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told? You know, he enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season, and then he experienced stage three, devastation happened, he lost everything, and then at that moment he came to his senses. And he remembered his father, he remembered his home, and he came back. And this, there in the rubble of Ziklag, David also came to his senses. And the turning point came so quickly that we might miss it. In verse 6, the end says, David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. David remembered God. David remembered the faithfulness of God. David turned to God once again because he always knew that God is merciful and loving. And David found his strength again. And what did God do? He took him back. He gave David back his strength. David didn't deserve it. In fact, David deserved punishment. He deserved everything he got. But God, the one we serve, is merciful and loving. David must have realized this when he wrote Psalms 145, one of my favorite psalms. It says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. And if you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I'm, I built a high-rise in Ziklag, <laughs> and I'm living here hard. You know what? You might not be there yet where there's devastation, but devastation is coming. You still can turn and, and turn back to the Lord, and the Lord will give you strength, and he loves you. He has compassion on you. David turned back to God, and God welcomed him back. And I believe there's people here this morning that need to turn back to God, people who are living in a ziklag, in, in a compromise. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a business partnership. Or maybe it's what you're looking at. And oftentimes, the Holy Spirit comes during worship, and we feel good. And sometimes he comes as conviction. And you're thinking to yourself, How? he feels like he's speaking to me. Well, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit through me. It's a conviction of the Holy Spirit because he's trying to rattle you a little bit to get you to take out that thing in your life that the master surgeon needs to so artfully get out. So let's finish the story. A couple more verses. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? He was smart. He was back with God. He was asking for direction. Will I overtake him? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and his 600 men with him came to the Besser Valley where some stayed behind. And then they met this Egyptian who told them exactly where the Amicalites were and they led him to this hill and then this Egyptian, in verse 16, led David down. And there, there they were, the, all the Amicalites, the enemy, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day. And none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Malachites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing Young or old, boy or girl, plunder, anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. So not only did God give David strength back, he also gave him victory. Victory he didn't really deserve. And David's victory was perfect. We are told over and over that David recovered all. 
Nothing was lost. Not a piece of money, not a garment, not an ox, not a sheep. He got his kids back, got his two wives back, his marriage back. David recovered all. When you turn, your, when you turn back to God, God will give you victory. He will give you total victory. He will restore what the enemy has stolen from you. If we say no to compromise and return to Jesus, even this morning, God is in the business of welcoming you back. God is in the business of welcoming back those who turned his back on him like David had. God is in the business of welcoming anybody who took up residence in Ziklag. That's what God does. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And that's the mercy of God for us. And Jesus came to give us beauty for ashes. That's what happened to David. In the ashes of Ziklag, after some fighting, David fought for it, but he was able to get beauty. And the Bible says he gives us beauty for ashes. And he will take your ashes and create beauty. He will take your mess that you made of things in Ziklag and give you total victory again. All you have to do is turn back to him. I just want to call up Gary right now, worship team. Yeah, did I say that right? <laughs> um, you know, and God wants you to find strength in him instead of Ziklag. God loves you and he wants you back. So my invitation is come back to God and leave any degree of compromise that you're in right now. In other words, God is asking you to move out of Ziklag. Can we bow our heads? Lord, you said, whom the Lord loves, you discipline. You talk frankly with us because you love us. And Lord, this was a frank talk this morning. Because really, all of us, it's hard, it's hard to live without compromise, Lord, if we're really real with each other. Because it's all around us. Lord, but you called us to be in the world, but not of the world. And Lord, we don't want to be your enemy. We don't want to live like your enemies live. We want to live holy, righteous, and separated and waiting for you. Let the Lord search your heart this morning. Let the Lord search your heart. Is the Lord speaking to you? Do you feel his conviction? you feel him telling you or pointing out people you need to end relationships with or business stuff or stuff you're watching or stuff you're listening to, your time on the computer. You know, once David realized it, God gave him strength, but he still had to fight for this. He had to make these difficult decisions. He had to fight for hours, the enemy, and finally he overcame and had the victory. And I feel the Lord is asking some people here this morning, will you make that initial step of saying, yes, I say no to compromise. I want to move back to the God's camp. Yeah, I really feel that, that God wants some people here to say no to compromise and yes to being all in with him. Is that what God wants you to do this morning? If, if, if that resi- resonates with you, um, resonates with you, 
I ask that you would just raise your hand right now and say, you know what? I'm tired of compromise. I want to be all in. And we're going to wait here for, for a little, little bit. If that's you, just keep your hand open up. You know, God's speaking to you. He loves you. All right, I, want, I want you to do one thing even more bold. Can you stand up? If that's you, can you stand up? It takes courage to follow the Lord especially in front of friends and family where everybody thinks we're all wonderful. (laughs) But the Lord is trying to get a hold of you this morning. The Lord wants deeper things for you. He loves you. So if you're standing, I want to invite you to come up to the front and just do business with God. Come up to the front right now and just kneel at the altar here and just tell the Lord you're sorry that you want to come back, okay? Just come on up right now. And if you haven't raised your hand or didn't stand up, still come, still come. Just, just kneel right there and you and God. Once David was all in, when he was committed and he moved out of Ziklag, he became king. He expanded the kingdom of Israel to greater heights than it ever had reached. Amazing things happened, but he first had to live a life without compromise. I don't know, I feel there's a couple more people here. Maybe even a couple young people. You know, nobody really was, nobody's watching, nobody even cares in a sense. Sometimes we feel like the whole world's watching if we come up here. Just come on up. We're, we're, not, gonna, we're not gonna miss this moment that God wants to do. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.